0: Good morning Um, my name is Adrian Christian for those who do not know me I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity and I get to share with you this morning what the Lord has put on my heart Um, but before the sermon I just wanted to acknowledge um, what's been going on over this past week in Israel um, and to take some time to grieve together and to lament it as a community, um, I know that for me, uh, about two weeks from now, there's a group that was headed to Israel, uh, many people who I see in this room. Um, and likewise, I know that there are some of you who may have friends or family who live in that area and have experienced fear or worry um, over this week. And then I imagine that most of us have been watching the news. And as Christians, I think that we have the opportunity to lament. Because what's going on is just not the way that it is meant to be. Um, terrorist attacks, violence, death of innocent people, hatred... It's just not the way that it was meant to be. And so I think as Christians, we are invited to lament, to grieve with people who are grieving. And I think that would be God's heart. And so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to open a space, a time for us to lament together. And there will be some silence in that space. Um, I give you the opportunity, you're welcome to stand, or you can sit or you can kneel, whatever is comfortable for you. And I'm just going to lead us and a prayer of lament. So please close your eyes. Heavenly Father, we turn to you. God, we turn to you in a time that is a bit confusing for us. We thank you, God, that you are a God who knows all things and that you are present and you are the God who sees. Even in complicating situations, Lord, and we turn to you, we ask, God, that you would hear our prayers. Father, there have been attacks and vengeance, the shed of innocent blood. There are people who are scared, who've been kidnapped. There's hatred and vengeance. Lord, we know that this is not the way that it was meant to be. There's been injustice. Lord, we pray for mercy. God, I imagine that there are people who are so scared, people who are over there, people maybe even in this room. Lord, we ask for your protection. We ask, Lord, for your comfort, that people would be able to feel your nearness to them during such a chaotic and scary time. Lord, we ask for miraculous peace. God, we trust in you. We trust that you are a good God who is A faithful God who is a God who sees. Who is not surprised. And a God who intervenes. And we just pray, Lord, your kingdom come. Here on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, have mercy. Hear our prayers. God, as I am about to speak, I pray that you would speak through me, that the words that come out of my mouth, that they would not be my words, Lord, but that they would be yours. And I pray that you would open the ears of the people here today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Today, I am going to read a text that is a bit difficult. And I will say that I'm very aware that that front row, Chris, he's not here, (laughs) gave him a hard time on Wednesday. It's been a hard week. I've been reminded that, you know, the world just isn't the way that it's supposed to be. And this text is a hard text. And so we're going to read it. I do believe that there is some really good news in it. I believe it's a good text and that it's true and it's good. So we're going to read it and learn a little bit more about God and who he is. Matthew 22, verses 1 through 14. Come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of it, and they went away, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his slaves. They mistreated him, and they killed them. And the king, he was enraged, and he sent his troops, destroyed those murderers, and burned their city. Then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. And so the slaves, they went out into the street and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe. And he said to him, Friend, How did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him, hand and foot, and throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. This is the word of the Lord. As I said, this is a difficult text in this past week. As I was preparing it, I was so aware of the fact that I would be talking about destroying a city and destroying murderers and weeping and gnashing of teeth, and then I would say, this is the word of the Lord, thanks be to God. I want to ask you, if you would for a moment to try to grasp the whole story that we have here and what's happening because the reality is I actually do believe that this is a good story. There is good news here for anyone who is willing to listen. So, I am African American. I grew up in Florida and Georgia for the most part. I grew up in the South, although Florida often is not considered the South here. (laughs) I grew up around black communities and white communities and Latino communities. In my adulthood, I moved to the Dominican Republic, and there I was around a lot of missionaries from Texas. I was also around Dominicans, and I was around Haitians. From there, I went to Massachusetts. Northeast United States is different than all of those that I just described. And there, I was at a seminary where I came in contact with people from South Korea, from Canada, from Africa, and from all parts of the United States. And I can tell you what I learned in being around so many different people is that culture matters. (laughs) Sometimes things that are rude or shameful in one culture might not be rude or shameful in another culture. And we tend to approach things through our cultural lens based on our context. Often, I think, in the United States, depending on whatever our cultural background is, we approach scripture that way. And we look at it as if it were written today, in the West, by someone in majority culture or our culture. And that is not actually what's happening so I'm going to ask you to put on your cultural lens and try to understand the culture of what was going on here in this passage. We have Jesus speaking. Jesus, is a, he was a Jew speaking to Jewish people in a place that is modern-day Israel. About 2,000 years ago, he was speaking. And he was talking in parables. A parable usually has some kind of lesson for the hearers, and sometimes it is hyperbolic. Modern-day Israel is an Eastern culture, an honor-shame culture. It is not a Western culture like the United States. I think um, Yeah, it's common for us to read it as, the, as though the culture were different than that. There's also a literary context here. We are in a gospel. We are in the gospel of Matthew. And we are towards the end of Jesus' life. Jesus has done miracles. He has healed people. He has forgiven sins. He has proclaimed who he is, that he is the Messiah, the one for whom the Jews were waiting. He has people following him, listening to his teaching, but he has also gained some enemies, some leaders, some people who just don't believe him. And they question him and they want to arrest him and they want to kill him. He's broken the rules. So he's not liked by many. This is a Continuation of an ongoing conversation that Jesus is happening, is having. About two weeks ago, Nate preached, and he preached on a parable, the parable of the two sons. And he spoke about how there were these religious officials who had approached Jesus when he was teaching asked him a question, by what authority are you doing these things? How is it that you're healing people and forgiving sins? Who are you? And Nate mentioned in his sermon the fact that they didn't actually want an answer to these questions. In them asking the question, they were stating what they believed, which was that Jesus didn't actually have authority. Jesus' response is a parable, A parable about two sons, a man who had two sons. One who says yes to his work, but then doesn't go. And another one who says no, but then goes. And the one who says no, but then chooses to do the work of his father, he's actually doing his will. Last week, we heard from Chris. Another difficult text. This time, it was a parable about a landowner who had tenants. And that landowner sent some servants to the tenants, and the tenants, they treated the landowner's servants poorly, stoning and beating and killing the servants. Again, the landowner sends more, more beating, more killing. And finally, the landowner sends his son, the heir, and the tenants, they're not very happy, and they they kill him. And Jesus makes this statement that the one rejected is actually going to be a stumbling block for the listeners. At this point, the text says that these chief priests and these religious leaders, they start to understand that Jesus is speaking of them, that they're the tenants, the ones that are mistreating. God's servants? That they're the son who says yes and then says no? This parable from today actually comes next. It's Jesus' third response to this question. And I will say that again, it increases in intensity. The first thing that I noticed as I was going through this is that we have a king who is gracious, And he is patient. Oh, what a host he is. The text tells us that he takes time to prepare a feast that he knows will be good for his guests. He's invited some guests. He's prepared a feast. And he's invited his creation, his people to be with him. They've said yes but when that meal is ready they reject him a little bit about the culture culture the people who were listening they would have understood that a wedding feast was going to be a really big gathering and they would have understood that this gathering was going to last for about 7 days it took commitment it would have been a great honor to be invited to the feast of a king. They were going to get his best. We've been doing an Old Testament study. At the very beginning of the Old Testament, we have the story of Genesis. Genesis 1 and 2, the people are living in the garden. I think sometimes it's really hard for us to think about the goodness that they experienced in the garden because it's tainted now. But if we could just stay there for a second. Oh, how good. I mean, people are walking around naked and they love their bodies. No shame. It is so luscious and beautiful outside. There's no bugs. It's not too hot. The weather is perfect. I mean, So good. What they get to eat, I mean, it is perfect on the tongue. And we think about some promises in Revelation, what it says. I mean, there's just some goodness there. No tears. No pain. No death. It is hard for us in this day to really sit in the goodness And yet we see these glimpses that God gives us laughter. Kids. We get to go outside and there's God's beauty. We go to weddings. I love weddings. Weddings. There's such good food. Often you get to eat as much as you want. There's good drink. Often people are really, really happy at weddings. Lots of hugs and laughter. If we can just imagine that goodness times a million. We have in this parable this king, and he has said, "Look! look what I prepared for you." And his invitation, it's rejected. The people don't come. And yet he says, look, look, and he starts to give details. It's just so good. But they make light of his invitation. God says to us, look. Look what I have prepared for you. He invites us into this beautiful life with him. Life that surpasses death, peace, in the midst of chaos. Joy in the midst of pain. He promises us his presence with us, his spirit in us. He promises us rest. Freedom from the bondage of sin. A future where there will be no tears and no pain and no death. And his invitation to all of us is to come. Our God, he is a gracious and patient host. What we see here in this parable is that those who are invited first, they do not accept the invitation. They made light of it. Some they go home, others they go to their jobs. And then it says the rest of them, they actually seized the king's servants and they mistreat them and they kill them. The Eastern context is an honor-shame context. The people who were listening to this, they come from that culture. They would have understood that to be invited to a royal meal was a really big deal. And in that culture, for someone to be, like it's just something that you would accept. (laughs) That's what would have been expected. That's how you honor the king. To reject the invitation, then, would have been so dishonoring and so disrespectful that the people listening, they actually would have thought that his reaction to them was just. It would have been foolish to not accept the invitation. And of course the king is outraged. This parable is about the Jews at the time. Jesus understands who his hearers are. Throughout history, they have rejected God's servants over and over and over again. He has sent prophets to tell them the truth, and they have rejected him. Here, they are rejecting God's Son. They've been waiting for 400 years for the Messiah, and we see people rejecting him. And the reality is to reject God's Son, to reject Jesus, is to reject God. What I like about God is that he does give us choice. He doesn't force our hand. He does not make these leaders follow him. He does not make us follow him. He gives us choice. We can believe him or not. Jesus was telling them that he was the Messiah, the Son of God, the Son of David. They don't believe. They want Jesus arrested. Some of us, we don't believe. In this room, I imagine there are some who aren't there yet. Outside of this room, there are more who, I imagine, aren't there yet. They don't believe his story. And like this king, I do believe that God is gracious and that he is patient with us. And he sends people to tell the story, to tell of the goodness of God's kingdom. If we are believers, we are given the opportunity to tell people About God's goodness. Some of us, just like the servants in this parable, we will be rejected. And what we see in the parable is the king's anger. God gets angry when we're rejected, telling truth, and yet it will probably happen. We see God, the king here, he says um, to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. They weren't worthy because they didn't want to accept the invitation. They weren't willing to, and so he gets angry. A just response. He is angry, but I will say that we see his grace. Why is that? Because his response, it says, to his servants, go therefore into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. And so they go out and they found everyone that they could find both good and bad. And the wedding hall was full. Our God, he is a gracious God. And all are welcome. The context of the Jews is that they believed that only people who were Jewish would inherit the kingdom of God. Only those who were Jewish would be in relationship with God. And Jesus here, he knew that God's kingdom was not just for Israel, but in fact, it was for all who would take the invitation seriously. And we can see it in the Old Testament we look at Jesus' genealogy, we see people that are not Jewish. Jesus also knew that it was not just for good people, the people who were following the rules, the people that the Jews thought were good. In fact, in Jesus' genealogy, we see prostitutes there. We see people who, in the Jewish mind, we're not good. All are welcome to the kingdom of God, is what Jesus said. Jewish believers believed that God's kingdom was about following rules, being perfect, doing the work, sacrificing according to the Mosaic law. And Jesus's message turned that upside down. God's kingdom has more to do with receiving an invitation. Recognizing that we have a need for Jesus. And we see Jesus throughout the Gospels. He is going towards people who are on the margins. Eating with tax collectors, coming near the demonic, near lepers. Accepting the Samaritans and women these were people who were on the margins at the time the jewish people at the time they believed that these people were not worthy of god and yet jesus he turns this upside down and he said the ones who are not worthy of god's kingdom are those who were invited but they did not accept the invitation There are some of you in here who maybe think, I'm not good enough for God. I have just gone too far. I've sinned too much. And that is not how God's kingdom works. His invitation is to all. There are others of us who understand that for ourselves, but we do not understand that for other people. God's invitation is for all. He wants all to come to him and to experience his goodness. I have to tell you that this very last paragraph is what gave me trouble since about Monday. When I started reading the text and I thought, oh, I'm going to have to preach on Sunday, this one was hard for me. It's hard. Because I'm like, what is up with this man who's, who goes and he's invited and he comes into this place where the king is, but he's not wearing a wedding robe. And the king ends up kicking him out. What's, what's up with this? And it really gave me trouble. I spent a lot of time in this part. So, I lived in the Dominican Republic, and some of the people that I worked with, they were very impoverished. Um, and one, one group of people in particular, um, man, they lived in, in a little community, they would get water maybe once a week, and they would go and fill up these big tubes of water, and that's what they would use for cooking, for cleaning, for washing their clothes, for anything that they needed, for taking a bath. Same people I remember, I mean, it was really hot in the Dominican, 105 degrees around this time. They didn't have air conditioning. So in the middle of the day, I'd often go, and people would be lying on the floor in their homes because it was cooler there. Just a very impoverished area. And something that I noticed is that whenever we would be at the school that I worked at, or if we went to church, you would have no idea where they came from because they were clean. Scholars have said that what was wrong with this person and how they were dressed is that they were unclean. If we can remember that this is an honor-shame culture, who knows what the norms are, right? Going and presenting yourself in front of the king, unclean, I mean, that would have been, bring shame to the king. It shows that you actually don't respect the king, that you're not coming there as you should. I like to get into Greek a little bit, and so I looked up some Greek words. Um, This whole, because I sat in this for so long, this wedding robe is just bothering me, and I wanted to understand more. And I found out that what's translated here is robe. In some other places, it's garment or it's clothing. It's only used eight times in the New Testament, which is a very small amount of times because there's talk about clothes all over the New Testament. And so I looked at these instances where this word is used. They're all actually in the Gospels. First time is John the Baptist. He's described as wearing... Camel's clothing, and it's that same word. There's three times um, talking about worry. Do not worry about what you wear, about your clothing. Worry about what's on the inside. There's another one right before this passage in Matthew that talks about um, being, beware of false prophets, those who are dressed in sheep's clothing. They're actually wolves disguised in sheep's clothing. Two instances here in this passage, and then after Jesus is resurrected, an angel appears to the women, and he is wearing clothes, white as snow. And as I looked through those, it just I find it very interesting that the two that are wearing this robe are people who walk with God, John the Baptist, an angel, a messenger of God that there is this warning against worrying about the outer appearance. Actually, what's important is the inner. And to beware of those who are actually wolves in sheep clothing. And then we get this. There's some ask for authenticity to beware of people who were not the same on the inside as they're claiming to be on the outside. This man had shown up at this royal feast, but really he wasn't clean. He didn't respect the king. I think that there's a warning here for all of us to take God's invitation seriously. I imagine that there are some of us even in this room who can relate to this man, we find ourselves in a space with people who believe. We know how to talk the right talk, to walk the right walk, to do all of the things that Christians do, but we're not really being fully honest with ourselves. And what we feel on the inside is not actually what we're projecting. And I think what God asks of us is for us to be authentic. The king's response about two days ago, this jumped out to me. Because God is gracious with us. He had experienced, this king in the parable had experienced so much rejection. And yet he has opened his arms, invited all who want to come, come. Come. He has this wedding hall that's full. And he comes down and he sees this man who's disrespecting him, who actually is unclean. He could have just kicked the man out. And that's not his response. The king's response is to come near to him. And he says, friend how did you get in here without a wedding robe? He asks a question. But this man, he doesn't respond. There's an opportunity for him to be honest with the king. There's an opportunity for him to repent, to admit his guilt that he didn't respect him, and he chooses not to. He didn't take the invitation seriously. He couldn't be. He decided not to be authentic with God. And he gets cast out. Our God is gracious and he is patient. He tries with us. He is also just. And he's not going to force our hand in any way. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, they sin. And when they sin, they make a covering for themselves. And then they go and hide, they feel ashamed. And if we remember the story, it tells us that God, He's walking around in the garden. And he asks a question. I mean, it's God. He's all knowing. He knows what's happened. Where are you? He comes near to them. And they respond differently than this man in this parable. I was afraid. So we hid. They were authentic. That is what relationship is about. That is what God asks of us. To be authentic. God, he is gracious. He sees their covering. Their covering is not good enough. It is not going to cover up their sin. And so he kills an animal. Blood is shed. And he gives them the better covering. Some years later... There are Israelites who are being oppressed in Egypt. And God tells them that he is going to free them and give them life. And what do they need to do? They need to kill a lamb that is unblemished and spread the lamb's blood on the doorpost. And because they have that covering... Their lives will be spared. No death will come to them. God, he gives us this invitation to accept the blood of the true unblemished lamb. His name was Jesus. And those of us who have that covering over us, we are clean. Not because of anything that we do, Because we accept the invitation and then we're given the opportunity for God to do a work in us, we have to take that invitation seriously. The good news is that God desires us, all of us, to experience this beautiful life, this life that begins now and goes into eternity he asks for our authenticity to tell him where we're at to realize that we have been invited into truly a royal relationship in each part of our lives and how we live it tells him if we're taking it seriously or not I imagine that as I talked about this story, that you can relate to some person in the story. Maybe you are the Jewish listeners who just don't accept Jesus yet. And you've had people coming to you, telling you, but you can't hear the truth yet. Maybe you are someone who was invited You've rejected the invitation or maybe you've accepted it. You're like, yes, I'm from the streets, part of the good and the bad. I am unworthy of this invitation, but I am so grateful. Maybe you're among the crowd and you realize, man, I've accepted this invitation, but I haven't been taking it so seriously. Maybe you're one of the servants that's been asked to go out and tell people, I don't know who you are today, but I imagine that there is someone that you can relate to. Where do you find yourself today? Where might God be asking you to repent, to reflect, or to accept his gracious invitation? We're going to give a few moments to reflect now.